Amen. Thank you, praise band. Good morning, church. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. The Patriots won. The Seahawks lost. All is right with the world. Yes, yes. We praise the Lord for all things big and small. All good things from His hand. Uh, My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here, and I'm honored to do so. Um, You are a good church, and I love being your pastor. Uh, For the most part, you're a pretty well-behaved congregation. Uh, But just be honest with me here. Have you ever started a riot? (laughs) Have you ever wanted to start a riot? Just, you know, get all your friends together, get a mob together, throw the whole game board up in the air. The reason that I ask is uh, most Christians do not have anarchy as a stated goal, but it does make, then, this morning's text particularly interesting. Uh, If you haven't read it um, uh, coming into the sermon today, um, what we're going to find here, it's about a bunch of quiet, faithful Christians Um, whose faithful living leads to a riot. And that alone is worthy of our attention. Uh, Acts chapter 19, if you brought a Bible, page 928 of the Pew Bibles, if you did not. Um, And as we're turning there, let me suggest for your consideration that our present day culture is increasingly unconcerned and disinterested in other world religion so long as it remains other world. But if your personal faith begins to imply that that needs to have this world consequences, well, that is not always so warmly received. Here's a good example. Charles Blow politics, public opinion, and social justice columnist for the New York Times. He writes in a recent article indoctrinating religious warriors, quote, I don't personally have a problem with religious faith, even in the extreme, as long as it does not supersede science and it's not used to impose outdated mores on others, unquote. Read a little bit more, and it becomes quite obvious. So long as you don't disagree with anything propagated by the secular scientific endeavor, and so long as you don't try and like live out any form of biblical morality in the public sphere, well, then you're fine, right? But as soon as you, you read on there, it becomes clear that Mr. Blow, I promise you I did not make that name up, <clears throat> Mr. Blow believes the slightest disagreement with uh, classic Darwinian evolution or liberal sexual ethics. Disagreeing with these things is tantamount to a denial, this is his words, of common sense and common good. That's just one columnist, and I know that, and I can cherry pick, but I want to suggest to you, it's always been this way for the church. Um, we, We certainly do ourselves no favors by shouting religiously inflamed invective back at the culture. But I want to let you know, if you don't know it already, that even humble, gracious Christianity, when it's lived out, folks, sometimes that alone 
will reap the whirlwind. And it doesn't always mean when there's blowback that, it's, that we're doing it wrong. Case in point, this church plant in Ephesus. If you're brand new today, uh, warm welcome. Glad you're here. Let me catch you up. Um, the Apostle Paul, he's been building this little church, one-time little church plant in the city of Ephesus for about two years now. He's been preaching Christ. He's living the gospel. Whole bunch of people are coming to Saving Faith. Whole bunch of men and women um, in this city that has just been soaked with the occult and the worship of idols. These men and women now are turning from those idols. They're turning to the God of creation. And that's not okay, right? Because Christianity, sometimes called in the first century the way, it begins now to have a financial impact on the city of Ephesus. One commentator writes, quote, when religious devotion and economic interest are simultaneously offended, fervid anger is awakened, unquote. And that is precisely what you're going to see in this morning's narrative. So, Acts 19, let's read it. Your Bible's open. We'll pick it up at the 21st verse. And I remind you now, brothers and sisters, that this is the very word of our Lord. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Decaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the great temple of our goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there? Who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. 
For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how big a fan you are of labor unions. Um, if, if, if that's not generally something that you would get excited about, you probably would not have been thrilled to live in the city of Ephesus because it was a city that had uh, powerful unions. And one of them was the silversmith. So The account that we're looking at today, it opens up in this great big meeting they're having where they invited workmen from all kinds of other trades too, uh, and they're all fired up. Why? Because business has not been good. Why not? (laughs) Because of the Christians. Because of Paul. Um, Take a step back. If you're looking at the Ephesian skyline, it was dominated by the temple to Artemis, uh, or her Roman name, Diana. One almost cannot exaggerate the significance of Artemis. Uh, Of all the ancient world shrines, this one here, this was the biggest. It was four times the size of Parthenon, of the Parthenon. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The dimensions were just unbelievable. See, in Ephesus, the the harbor, I guess, had been silting up for decades and decades now, so that was no longer really the the chief industry for the city. This was the cult of Artemis, uh, Near Eastern mother goddess of fertility. What we think happened is that a meteor that was vaguely shaped like a woman fell from the sky, and then this whole religion sprang up around it, um, a religion which included, to a significant degree, among other things, cult prostitution or sex worship. Uh, Pilgrims flocked from all over the continent to see this thing. Uh, And of course, entrepreneurial businessmen and businesswomen set up shop right along with the temple. You got food, you got um, lodging, you you got all the the accoutrements of worship. Um, If you guys go down to to D.C. this spring, you're going to buy a ball cap while you're down there, right? Or you're going to buy a sweatshirt. Or you're going to buy a shot glass. Or you're going to buy one of those little silver spoons. Well, when you went to Ephesus, you didn't buy a little silver spoon. You bought a little silver god. In our text, Demetrius and these guys, um, they were the ones who carved the little gods. But guess what's happening? Well, there's a slump in sales. And Demetrius attributes it to Paul and all of his proselytizing. That's verse 26. This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And I think, well, that's kind of a pithy little epigram there. Man-made gods are no gods at all. Well, of course they're not. Um, if, you, if you stick a finger here and flip back in your Bibles about 750 years to the book of Isaiah and chapter 44, I want you to see this 
this ridiculous picture that Isaiah paints in chapter 44. It's long about verse 15. Isaiah is speaking here of a guy who's out in the forest and he's cutting down trees and then he's gathering up the wood afterwards. Isaiah 44 verse 15 and quote, it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a God and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasted and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a God, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. It's quite a picture, isn't it? I mean, here's a guy... Just the, the foolishness of, what, of what's happening here. A, a man, he gathers up wood, and from the same pile of wood over here, he's cooking his breakfast. He's making bacon, and he's making eggs. Probably not bacon. He is a Jew, after all. He's making grits, and he's making toast. And over here, the same pile of wood, he's crafted into a God that he's given his life to. It's absurd, Right? And it's the same thing they were doing in Ephesus. And then they would sell the little gods. And of course, that's what Demetrius is worked up about. I, I don't think it's, it's so much his righteous indignation over Artemis being insulted. I think it's that he's not making a buck like he used to make a buck. And why not? Because the Christians weren't buying the idols like they used to buy the idols. I don't want to pass over that too quickly there. Because this is how the face of Jesus Christ was being made known in that city. It wasn't by placards and, and pens and even little bracelets or, or Christian jewelry, right? It was just an economic impact a wicked trade that's no longer being supported as much as it was because Christians stopped buying garbage. What does it mean, if I can borrow a little bit from Rob and Josh a few minutes ago, what does it mean to be 100% steward? Wouldn't 100% stewardship of our time and our talent and our treasure. Wouldn't that involve not merely the things that we give our money to, but also the things that we don't? In other words, is your personal faith, Christian, a threat to anyone's idolatry? If everyone prioritized the things that you prioritized, Would anyone's idle business go out of business? That's what Demetrius and all these guys are all fired up about. The gospel hit their pocketbook. 
And so now, an unruly union meeting quickly moves toward a full-fledged riot. Um, if you drop this into Medway, I think this is what it looks like. Um, you, get, you, know, you got the, all the guys that are gathered over there at the Odd Fellows Hall down the street, and they're just getting worked up, and they're getting worked up, and now they're just rolling out of the hall, and they're rolling down Route 109, and a whole bunch of people are kind of being added to the number as they're shouting and hollering, and they kind of make their way down to Medway Plaza, and they move into the parking lot there, and they're just chanting and chanting and chanting, uh, Megale he Artemis Ephesion. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, this is the, the street that they would have traveled. It was called the Arcadian Way. Uh, the theater in the background called the Great Theater is probably where everyone landed. Archaeologists tell us that it could have, when you really crammed them in there, it could accommodate about 24,000 people. So everybody's rolling up the Arcadian way there. Um, The whole city's in an uproar. Verse 29, there's a massive disturbance. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That cry would have echoed out across the city. It would have echoed over the water, maybe even hit a few of the ships close by in harbor. Um, And then you get just a little bit of insight into Luke's humor there at verse 32. Uh, You you picked it up when we read it the first time. Now some cried out one thing, some another, and most of them did not know why they had come together. In other words, they're Americans, right? (laughs) They're Americans in an elevator. I mean, you've seen the studies of everybody faces this way in the elevator, even though the the door's back here. The next guy to get on, what direction is he going to face? Well, he's looking that way too. It's just pandemonium. They're just all getting caught up together. Verse 34, they shouted for two hours. Really, Trav? Two hours? Is that realistic? How long was the Pats game last night? And don't you love Paul right, during all of this? I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He sees an enormous, unruly mob, numbers in the thousands. So he says, verse 30, hey, that's a lot of people. We should go down there and preach. <laughs> Give me the mic, he says. And his friends say, ah, Paul, not a good idea. Some guy, some Jew named Alexander, he steps forward. He gets shouted down. I don't know anything about him. And then afterwards, everyone has gotten themselves all tired out, I suppose. And then finally, the city clerk steps up. And, you know, he's got the little round glasses and the little skinny tie. Um, but he's intelligent. He knows the ropes. I guess he's got some influence. And he says, come on, guys. Verse 35. We don't need this. The whole world knows Artemis is the real thing. She fell from heaven. So, you know, if you got a problem, just go downtown. File the right papers, he says. But you can't riot. If you keep acting like this, we're going to be charged with rioting. The law is going to come down on you. That's what he says. Makes a couple of additional points, finishes talking, dismisses the crowd, and the whole thing is over, and all that's left afterwards is some broken out windows, some trash littering the streets, and some disappointed Ephesians walking back after their lunch hour has gone long here, mumbling to one another, eh, that was kind of (laughs) lame. It's kind of an unusual story for the New Testament, right? I mean, have you read In the New Testament, a story like this, there's no preaching, there's no conversions, there's no miracles. I do think there's some application. Do you know that 
in the late 19th century, um, the Salvation Army was making really significant inroads into London, um, doing tremendous work uh, with all kinds of folks, the poor, drunks, prostitutes. Salvation Army is great. You probably know that. What you may not know is that in response to that period in history, when the Salvation Army had such a tremendous kingdom impact there in the city of London, what arose was called the Skeleton Army. Have you guys ever heard of this? Um, it's made up of saloon keepers, loan sharks, pimps, and brothel owners, all of whom donated very significant sums of money to combat the Salvation Army. There were threats, there was violence, few Christ followers were murdered. When Christians live out a fully orbed Christianity, the world will often be unimpressed and sometimes downright aggravated by the effect. You want to make an impact for our king? Did you want to you want to create a holy stir in our community? You want to live on mission? This is how you do it. You follow hard after Christ. But be aware, the sacrifice in doing so will quite likely engender more sacrifice still. G. Campbell Morgan, he wrote a long time ago, and it's still just as true. It is by the friction of persecution that the fine gold of character is made to flash and gleam with glory. The church patronized has always been the church in peril and very often the church paralyzed. The church persecuted has always been the church pure and therefore the church, powerful. Acts 19 is a very atypical passage in the New Testament, which makes me think that in this text, the most interesting scene is probably the one happening off camera. Um, one preacher, he paints the scene like this. You got Mrs. Levi. She's in the bathroom there in her home in Ephesus, and she's brushing her teeth. Mr. Levi, he's in the bedroom pulling on his pajamas. Mrs. Levi shouts to Mr. Levi, Honey, I, I don't think we should get Naomi the, uh, the, the shrine thing for graduation. And he says, why not, honey? And she, she hollers back into the bedroom, I don't know, something Paul was saying down there at Tyrannus Hall. I just, I don't think it's a good idea. Or imagine Mr. Simeon. He's sitting in his office and he buzzes his admin. Hey, can we put a hold on that order of Artemis shrines that we were going to get for the, uh, for the whole marketing team? She replies back, I, I think so. Are you sure? He says, yeah. In fact, just go ahead and cancel the whole order. 
And now Demetrius, what's he doing? Well, he's sending a representative to meet with Mr. Simeon and inquire about the canceled order. And Mr. Simeon is now sitting in his office and he gets the chance to lead forward in his seat and he gets to say, hey, I want to tell you about a God. He's saying to that sales rep, I want to tell you about a God who's not made from silver. He's made from flesh and blood. He's a God who stepped into our world And he died on a cross, but he's alive today. And now you multiply out Mr. Levi and Mrs. Levi and Mr. Simeon and the whole bunch out over the city or the state or the nation. And you have a profound impact from the gospel. It's not from Christians shouting and yelling about the things they don't like. It's from Christians living the very things they do. And so can I ask here, as I wrap it up and we head back out, is your life, my friend, perceived to any significant degree a threat to sin Is your life perceived to any significant degree a threat to our idols and our little idol-making factories? Oh, that we would be a church where our names are not only known in heaven, but they are hated in hell. Because we are a church that is so committed in even the smallest little areas of our lives to living out holiness and obedience to God, excuse me, to God's word. Because, hey, you want to see the temple of Artemis 2,000 years later? There she is. One single pillar smashed into pieces. They had to stack it up again just so tourists would have something to photograph in the spot where she once stood. Every God made by the hands of man will crumble to dust. Just give it time. And yet here we are today. The church of Christ made powerful, resounding through the ages. This God of Abraham and Isaac and Peter and Paul. And he's reigning today. Omnipotent, omniscient, ruling and overruling all things. Therefore, we live for him in every way. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame, grace and peace.